Well, tonight at the end of our worship together, we are going to be celebrating communion. And so if you did not receive some communion elements when you came in this evening, um, if you would like a set, just hold your hand up high for a moment. And a member of our host team, don't be embarrassed, I forget mine all the time, um, just hold your hand up high and a member of our host team will be more than happy to bring those to you. So I don't know what it is for each of you um, that kind of makes Christmas, you know, feel like Christmas for you. I, I don't know if that is um, going out and, and picking out a Christmas tree, um, or may, maybe for you it is uh, it's listening to songs on, on the radio, Christmas songs on the radio. Um, maybe for you it, it's watching uh, those all those amazing Christmas movies with the plot twists that you would just never ever expect, right? That you you could never imagine that it would ever work, work out possibly that way. Uh, maybe for you it is um, it is putting together your Christmas list, um, or maybe for you it's actually going out and secretly buying presents for everybody who is on um, your list. But for me, um, for me, it's always putting the lights up on our house outside at Christmas. And, and see, I'm that guy in your neighborhood um, that is always trying to put their lights up before anybody else does, right? In fact, when my kids were really little, um, they, they would always tell me, um, you know, Dad, you can't put the lights out yet because, because as soon as you put them out, you're going to want to turn them on. And it's not even Thanksgiving yet. And Dad, you, just, you can't do that, right? That's embarrassing. Um, but this year, and I don't know about you guys in your neighborhood, if you had this or not, um, but in my neighborhood, we actually had people, a bunch of people, putting their lights out like the day after Halloween, right? And, um, and so when I saw that, I was coming home from work one day, and I was like, okay, finally, right? These are my people, right? They get it. They understand. Because, see, I do. I, I really love Christmas, and I look forward to Christmas every year. And I've especially been looking forward to Christmas this year to celebrate Christmas with you in 2020. Because Christmas, it really is the most wonderful time of the year. But it's not the one most wonderful time of the year necessarily because of what is happening. Because the truth is, many times at Christmas, what is happening around us is far from wonderful. Right? In fact, the truth is, many times at Christmas, um, this is the time of the year when, when life and family, um, they just get incredibly complicated um, really, really quickly. Right? Doesn't it? And so oftentimes, what we want to be um, the, the happiest season of all, right? Many times it doesn't really feel all that happy. Because at Christmas time, more than any other time of the year, um, we, we are reminded that there are problems that we cannot solve, right? There are people that we just cannot control, and there are expectations that we just cannot meet. And so, Christmas, it really is the most wonderful time of the year. But it's not necessarily the most wonderful time of the year because of what is happening. But Christmas, it absolutely is the most wonderful time of the year because of what happened. Because at Christmas, we celebrate a season of looking forward to an event that changed everything. An event that changed the world. When God sent His Son into this world to become the center of history. And more importantly for you and more importantly for me, God sent Jesus into this world to become the center of your life and the center of my life. Because when Jesus becomes the center of your life, when Jesus becomes the center of my life, then he, he centers our lives on something stable, right? On something hopeful, on something that, that gives us a sense of purpose. And in 2020 especially, a sense of, um, I do not need to fear even though there is so much. There is so much going on that gives me a reason to fear. So there is this sense in which Christmas, and especially this Christmas, it is the most wonderful time of the year, not because of who is physically with us, but because at Christmas, 
we are reminded who it is that is for us. And no matter how dark things may be, no matter how difficult things might get, no no matter how hard things might become in the future at Christmas, we are reminded that this is the best time of the year to focus on the light that has come into our world. Now, if you grew up in church or if you grew up around church, then chances are um, you know that in the Bible, in the New Testament, the New Testament actually begins um, with four different accounts of the life of Jesus. We refer to them as the Gospels. And each one of those different accounts was written by a different person at a different point in history. And we just simply refer to them by the names of the men who wrote them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, Mark is actually the one who wrote his account of the life of Jesus first. He wrote it about 25 years after Jesus' resurrection. And then Matthew wrote his next about five years after that. And then Luke wrote his account about five years after that. And then finally, John is the one um, who writes his account of the life of Jesus last. And and Matthew, Mark, and Luke's accounts, they're all very similar, um, but John's is, is very different. In fact, John doesn't begin his account of the life of Jesus the way that that Matthew and Luke do. He doesn't begin um, by giving us a a birth announcement. Um, In in fact, um, John actually talks about the birth of Jesus in a a completely different way, and so he gives us a a much different perspective as to who God is and who Jesus is. And one of the reasons that John's gospel, why it feels so different to us when we read it, um, and I don't think we really think about this very much, um, but when, when John wrote his account of the life of Jesus, John was, in fact, um, a, a very old man, unlike Matthew, unlike Mark, and unlike Luke. And so, um, John, in fact, uh, uh, is the first person, he's the first person ever um, to equate God with a single word, right? John was the one who, after spending three years of his life with Jesus, after watching Jesus, after hearing all the things that, that Jesus said, John is the one um, who says, okay, um, there's a whole lot of great big complicated words I could use to try to explain God to you, um, but really the, the best way, um, the simplest way, remember this, John would say, is that God is love. John was the first person in the history of the world, not simply Christianity, John was the first person ever to say that God is love, which is, in fact, a uniquely Christian idea. And see, what makes this so amazing when you actually study the life of John is what it is that he experienced in his life, what he experienced as an old man, the things that he had lived through. Because John actually experienced suffering and heartache and loss on a scale that we can't even begin to imagine. John actually saw his closest friends, Matthew and Peter and Paul. He saw all of them hunted down and executed by the Roman Emperor Nero. John had many of his closest, many of his own family members actually martyred, including his youngest brother, James. John lived through circumstances and events um, that that we can't even begin to imagine. I mean, John lived through the destruction of the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD, um, when not only the city was destroyed, but the walls surrounding the city and the temple, the destruction was so severe that the city remains permanently destroyed. The temple remains permanently destroyed uh, until this day even. 
John actually witnessed when after the destruction of the city of of Jerusalem, hundreds of thousands of Jewish men and women were forcibly taken out of their homes and then sold off into slavery on the Roman slave markets. John lived through and experienced and saw all of that. He he lived through heartache and loss on a scale that, that we can't even begin to imagine. And yet, seeing everything that he saw and experiencing everything that he experienced, John, he, he never lost faith. In fact, at the very end of his account of the life of Jesus, it's, it's John who, who says this. He tells us that Jesus, he did many other miraculous signs because John very intentionally organized his record of the life of Jesus around um, the, very, the miraculous events, the things that he would go on to refer as signs, things that Jesus Perform. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. Now, this is so important for you to understand, especially if you're um, skeptical of the Bible or if you're just skeptical about the whole Jesus thing or church thing. Um, when John uses the phrase, this book, right, he is not referring to the Bible. Because when John wrote his account of the life of Jesus, there wasn't even a Bible yet. The Bible wouldn't even come into existence for a couple hundred years after John wrote these words. John was helping to write it, but he had no idea that he was even a part of it. And so what John is saying to us is, is, listen, okay, I've told you some of the things that Jesus did, but see, the truth is he did a lot more. I've explained some of the things that Jesus said But the truth is, he said a lot more. See, really, John is saying, I've only given you a glimpse, just a small glimpse of what it is that we, those of us who who lived with Jesus, what it is that we experienced while we were with him. But I've chosen to to write about these specific things, these things I'm referring to as signs. And, And the reason I've chosen to write about them is so that you, so that you may believe. Right? Because John would say, I'm praying that, 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 that after you get finished reading my account of the life of Jesus, that you wouldn't simply um, be impressed, that, that you wouldn't simply be curious, not, not that, that you wouldn't even be amazed. No, I am praying, John is saying, that after you read my account of the life of Jesus, that you may believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, right? Not physical life. Because everyone reading John's account of the life of Jesus, they already had physical life. John says, no, no, a whole different kind of life. Life in Jesus' name. That in spite of what it is that John, as an old man, had witnessed, in spite of what it is that John as an old man had experienced throughout the course of his life, the people that he could not control, the situations that he could not control, the the incredible loss that he experienced personally. In, In spite of the fact that John witnessed everything that was important to him be destroyed and that he lived with the loss of almost everyone who was important to him, after going through all of that, John still believed that Jesus was, in fact, the source of a kind of life, a kind of life that went way beyond just simply physical life in this world. 
And so when John begins his, his account of the life of Jesus, he doesn't, he doesn't begin with a, a birth announcement, right, which I think is so incredibly fascinating because, uh, because, I mean, think about it. If anybody had all the details about the birth of Jesus, it would have been John. Because he remember, John was the one that Jesus spoke to from the cross as he was being crucified. John is the one that Jesus entrusted the care of his mother Mary into. And so if there's anyone who ever had the chance to say to Mary, okay, Mary, come on, tell me what it was like when you discovered that you were pregnant. I mean, Mary, what, what was it like to have an, an angel physically appear in front of you and, and speak to you? I mean, like audibly speak to you. Like, really, Mary, are you sure? An angel? Like an actual angel? Mary, what was it like to know that your baby your baby was the Son of God. And see, even though Mary would have recalled all of those events with John countless times, when John begins his account of the life of Jesus, he doesn't begin with shepherds or a manger. He doesn't begin with Egypt. He doesn't even begin with Bethlehem. In fact, John does not begin with anything that is happening. Instead, John begins his account of the life of Jesus with the significance of what happened on the night that Jesus was born. Because, see, John knew that just as there were very, very dark days that when he was writing his account of the life of Jesus, that when Jesus was born into this world, that Jesus was actually born at a period of time when it was very, very dark as well. And see, this is so important and so powerful for us to recognize and to understand, especially in this year, in 2020, when every single one of us, when it's so easy, when we are constantly reminded not only of how things have changed, but what it is that each one of us have lost personally. When all of us are curious about when or if or how things will ever go back to being the way that they once were. See, in spite of all of that, before John says anything about what Jesus did or any place that Jesus went, all of the narratives or all the detail before all of those things, John, he begins his account of the life of Jesus by telling us that in him, in Jesus, was life. Right? Not simply physical life. And so John begins his account by putting into words all that he's seen, all that he's felt, all that he's experienced while he was with Jesus, and he says, the best way that I can think to summarize all of this for you is to tell you that in him, in Jesus, was life, and that life, it was the light of all humanity. Now this is such an incredibly huge statement for John to make. Because see, what John realized and what he wants all of us to realize is that Jesus, he didn't simply come to us. Right? He didn't simply come to the people who were looking for him. Right? Jesus didn't simply come to the people who, who, who were waiting for him. That Jesus, he came for everyone. That Jesus came for those people who were waiting to be saved, and he came to the people who had no idea that they even needed saving. That Jesus didn't simply come for the Jewish people. No, Jesus, he came 
for everyone. And what he brought with him, John was telling us, was an element of life, the likes of which no one ever experienced before. What he brought with him was an element of life and light, the likes of which no one had ever seen before. Because, see, John was there. John was there on that day when Jesus physically rose from the dead. John was there when the resurrected Jesus appeared physically to his disciples and said to them, okay, the reason why you've seen what you've seen, the reason why you've heard what you've heard, in fact, the reason why you're here right now is because I want you to go. And you are to go into every nation. You are to go to every group of people that you can find. You are to go to every nationality, every ethnicity that that is out there, the poor and the wealthy, the hopeless and the helpless. You are to go to all of them, and you are to tell them what you've heard me say. You are to make disciples of everyone. You are to give away everything that I have given to you. Because my life and my light, Jesus would say, it isn't just a Jewish light. It isn't just for Jewish people. No, it is for all people everywhere. It is for everyone. And then John goes on and he says this, and this is is one of my favorite verses in in John's book. He says, "Um, the, the light, it shines in the darkness. And perhaps as John wrote these amazing words, perhaps he thought about the darkness that was around him. The darkness that comes with the loss of a loved one. The darkness that comes in living through a whole series of of unanswered prayers. The darkness that comes in watching someone that you care about suffer. The darkness that comes when we have more questions than answers and when we feel more helpless than hopeful. And see, in spite of all that, John says, this light, this light, this amazing light that Jesus has brought into our world, it shines. And see, every single one of us understands what it means for light to shine in darkness and for light to expose what is in the darkness. But see, this light, this light of Christ, this light of Jesus, John would say, this light was different because the darkness, it actually tried to put it out, to snuff it out. To, to overwhelm it, to seize it, to capture it, to, to extinguish it, to surround it. I mean, in 2020, this past year, where in your own life have you felt the darkness trying to snuff out and put out the light? And see, John tells us, as hard as this world, as hard as circumstances, as hard as events may try to put out this light, that is life, the darkness, he says, it has failed because it has not understood it. Another translation said the darkness has not overcome it. And I mean, think about this. These words, right, these amazing words written by a man that history tells us was in fact the only apostle not to be martyred. That when John wrote these words, he was literally the last apostle left alive. 
And as he looked back over the course of his own life, and as he thought about all the different ways that he had seen events in this world and the circumstances of life in this world trying to eradicate this light that is life, John says the darkness, it just could not put it out. Caesar couldn't do it. Herod couldn't do it. Caiaphas couldn't do it. Nero couldn't do it. Not even death itself could do it. And so Christmas, and this Christmas especially, when we are confronted with circumstances and emotions as in no other time of the year, at Christmas time, when we are confronted with the fact that there are problems that we cannot solve, there are people that we just cannot control, and there are expectations that we may never be able to meet. It is John, right, the man who raced to a tomb only to find it empty, right? It is John. The man who stood and watched as his closest friend was mercilessly executed on a cross and then three days later sat down with him eye to eye and had breakfast with him on a beach. It is the Apostle John who is absolutely convinced that no matter what happens in this life, and no matter what it is that we face in this life, no matter how deep the depression or how great the loss, no matter how extreme the suffering, or how hopeless the situation looks. It's John who reminds each of us that there is a light that shines in darkness, and no amount and no type of darkness will ever be able to put it out. And so because of that, there is always a reason to hope, John would say, and there is always a reason to believe. And what makes Christmas the most wonderful time of the year is not what is happening. What makes it the most wonderful time of the year is what happened. Because what happened is that 2,000 years ago, a baby boy was born in Bethlehem and his name was Jesus. But listen, we shouldn't even know this because he was a nobody. We shouldn't know his name, let alone where he was born, because he wasn't the son of a king or an emperor, or even a governor. He was the son of a carpenter. He should have been born and died without anybody ever even knowing that he existed. But see, listen, when this baby grew up, he began to teach. And he began to teach things that nobody had ever heard of or or thought of before. And Jesus, he not only taught things that no one had ever heard before, he began to perform miracles that no one had ever seen before. And the the reason we know that Jesus actually performed these miracles is because the people who were closest to him, people like John and Matthew and Peter and even Jesus' own younger brother James, they all told everyone that they knew about what it is that Jesus had done. And then they began to write about it as well. Jesus spent three and a half years of his life teaching and performing a variety of miracles until eventually he was executed on a Roman cross. Roman history tells us all of this. And see, the very same people who record the details of the miracles that Jesus performed, they also tell us that after he was executed by Rome, that three days later Jesus rose from the dead. But I mean, come on, who could possibly believe that, that a man could actually rise from the dead? The eyewitnesses who tell us about the miracles that Jesus performed, don't miss this, the same eyewitnesses who tell us about the miracles that Jesus performed and who document his resurrection, 
They all tell us that Jesus, not only did he rise from the dead, not only did he conquer death in the grave, but listen, they gave up their lives not simply for what they believed, right? People give up their lives all the time for things that they believe in. No, these men and these women, they, the people who witnessed and I witnessed these events and these miracles, they gave up their lives for something that they saw. They gave up their lives for something that they witnessed. They gave up their lives because they saw a man who was once dead, a man that they in an entire city saw tortured and executed. They saw him alive again. And it was what these eyewitnesses saw, what it is that they experienced, that spread all throughout the Middle East, all throughout Europe, and eventually all throughout the entire world. And today, more than two billion people who are alive in our world will tell you, from every language, from countless cultures and ethnicities, on every single continent, the rich and the poor, the helpless and the hopeful, all of them, they believe that a Jewish carpenter rose from the dead. And the reason they believe is because they place their faith in the fact that Jesus' death on the cross is the payment for and the salvation from their sin, that they too were living in darkness. And Jesus brought the light of life into their world. And if you ask them to explain it, what they will say to you is, listen, okay, I needed my sins to be forgiven. Not covered, not ignored, not hidden, but forgiven. And when I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, something happened to me. Something happened in my heart. Not from something that I did, no, from something that Jesus had done. And now somehow because of that, I have peace. Now somehow because of that, I have joy. Now somehow because of that, I'm not fearful like I used to be. I mean, think about it. Right? A Jewish carpenter that an entire religion tried to destroy, that two Roman emperors tried to destroy, that a king and a governor tried to destroy, and yet somehow, somehow we know more about him than any other ancient person who's ever lived. Why do we even know his name? Why did his message survive? Why did so many people, think about it, give up their lives to simply say that they saw a man who was once dead alive again? Are there things in this life that we don't understand? Of course there are things in this life we don't understand. Are there things in this life that we cannot explain? Of course there are things in this life that we cannot explain. But the truth is so obvious that there is a God, that he sent his son into this world to die for your sin and to die for my sin. And today, more than two billion people who are alive will tell you that when they stopped fighting against that truth, when they received that truth, as difficult as it may be to explain, something happened, that they were changed. Because what John tells us, this is truth. In Jesus is life and light, the likes of which darkness cannot overcome. Not then, not now, and not ever. And this Christmas, if you want to receive the light that is life into your life, if you want to receive the gift that Jesus brings to you on this Christmas Eve, it's actually the Apostle John who tells us how. It's the Apostle, John prayer, Apostle John's prayer. It's the simplest prayer you'll ever pray. This is what the Apostle John prayed. He simply prayed this, Come, Lord Jesus. 
let's say this together. Come, Lord Jesus. One more time. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, into my life. Come, Lord Jesus. Bring your life and your light to me. Come, Lord Jesus, and bring hope. Hope that goes beyond all darkness. Come, Lord Jesus, into my life and bring a new life. Life in your name. Heavenly Father, as we are here together and as we are worshiping what it is that you have done, we're worshiping you and your Savior, our Savior, your Son, the gift that he is to every single one of us. Father, we thank you for this incredible gift, this gift of life, this gift that brings light into all the dark places of our lives, this light that will never be overcome. And so, Father, our prayer this evening, my prayer especially, for everyone who's here in the room tonight, everyone who's watching with us online this evening, Father, I pray that no matter how great the question, no matter how deep the fear or the anxiety, even, Father, no matter how how much anger maybe there is at you, that, Holy Spirit, that you would break through all of that that you would bring the gift of faith, that you would give the gift of life, that Jesus, what we would receive from you tonight is the promise and the reminder that you are always with us, that you have promised never to leave us or abandon us, no matter what it is that we experience in this life. And Jesus, you have promised to always forgive us. And so we ask that you would hear us as we personally and silently confess our sin to you. The good news of the gospel is that today, in the town of David, a Savior, he has been born to you, 
And He has given to you life. And He has given to you grace. He has given to you forgiveness in His name and by His blood. And so your sins, they truly are forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen.